This is Dan Brown here today again with another A Lens a Day conversation about information architecture. And today I get to talk to the seasoned and the wise Peter Merholtz. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Peter, uh, you and I have been thinking about information architecture for decades. Uh, and I'm curious what parts of the IA process are still exciting for you? What parts of that process still get you uh, revved up when you get to, uh, and I know you you kind of dabble in a lot of different parts of user experience, you operate at the executive level, but surely there are some aspects of IA that you still get to do and that uh, uh, excite you about the process. Um, so when it comes to information architecture practice, uh, my, I would argue my current practice is, is probably fairly non-standard in that I apply information architecture to the design of organizations. Uh, in fact, I gave a talk at the IA conference about how this book could have been retitled An Information Architect uh, Tackles Organization Design. And I didn't know that when I went into it. I just was writing a book on how to design organizations. And then when I looked back on it, I realized it was filled with frameworks and taxonomies and other kind of IA-like artifacts um, because that's how I make sense of the world. Um, and so to answer your question, my IA practice largely is in um, some form of thinking about categorization and taxonomization. So like language and words and labels um, often applied to when I'm in, in this instance to um, roles within an organization and specific to that within a design team. So how do you clarify what a product designer does, what a UX researcher does, what a content designer does, what a design ops person does? Um, uh, those are labels right and those labels have an associated set of um criteria characteristics um but they're not super clean product designers do user research user researchers do product design content designers do product design and user research product designers do content design so for me it's around trying to navigate that space where things feel specific enough to be meaningful Right? You don't want to have a job title of designer because that's just too broad. You wouldn't know what this person does. You wouldn't know how to hire for that role. You wouldn't know how to um, communicate to the market that you're interested in someone because a role like that, there's just too many things it could be. But you, uh, on the other extreme, I don't want to say I'm looking for a, um, at least when I'm doing you know kind of digital product design, I'm not interested in hiring a um, iconographer for my design system. That's too specific. That's too constrained. That suggests this person literally all day long will just be drawing icons, um, right? And so, and so the the role of IA in my practice is finding those happy mediums where they're general enough to be. Um, to not be too constraining, because that's the other thing. I don't want it to be overly constraining. My my, my philosophy of 
professional development is one of practitioners finding their way, finding their paths through right. a profession, which might mean you start as a product designer, but then you learn some IA and you learn some UX writing and maybe you become a content designer and that's okay. We want to encourage that. So, so how do we encourage that flexibility within these roles without them becoming so broad and generalist that you can't talk about them anymore? And so I'm constantly managing that, um, trying, to, trying to find that happy medium right. Uh, right. there. You, you talked about um, applying an IA kind of perspective or mindset to org design. Uh, and I, this is something that I've been hearing a lot of is sort of like, uh, maybe I'm focused on different kinds of problems now, but I still bring that IA mindset and perspective. And something you said really struck me, which is that uh, as IAs, we sometimes have a reputation for wanting to put things in neat little boxes. But I think what makes us more IAs is recognizing that no categorization scheme is going to be perfectly clean, that there's going to be mess um, and uh, a little bit of chaos. That's just the nature of reality. How do you help your clients kind of navigate and understand that a little bit of chaos always comes with whatever order that you can bring to it? How do you help them recognize that even though we're trying to tidy things up, so to speak, that tidiness includes accommodating some of the mess, some of that chaos? I'm, I'm reflecting because I, I haven't had quite that specific experience or conversation. Um, what, I, what I usually, so there's there's a so so many thoughts. Uh, yes, IAs uh, are, are at least seen as too often wanting to put things in simple boxes, um, and IAs often want to make things very clean and put things in, in boxes that are um, exclusive to one another. Uh, one of my favorite phrases in the history of the Information Architecture Summit came from Mark Bernstein, who is a uh, hypermedia practitioner who has a piece of software called Tinderbox. And he spoke on a panel led by Andrew Dillon on the shape of information architecture. This was in Portland in 2003. Um, and his phrase that I think of at least once a week, if not once a day, is multivalence is not a vice. Um, the, the meaning being that we want to embrace the fact that words have multiple meanings and that's okay. We need to recognize it and and acknowledge it and deal with it as opposed to like fight it and try to beat it off. Um, so the way I, I navigate that with my clients is, is I, I argue for the value and clarity when it comes to things like titles and roles. I did some work years ago uh, for Capital One and they had six or seven different titles for the same basic role. Product designer, digital product designer, experience designer, UX designer, UX UI designer, UI UX designer, right? And so, so that kind of chaos, everyone's like, okay, that doesn't make sense. We don't want that kind of chaos. We're just confusing the market. So there's, there's this, I'm gonna take off my watch because Siri sometimes asks me dumb questions while I'm doing this. Um, there's this, there's this recognition that we need 
some clarity, some uh, oh, uh, yeah, clarity organization uh, in things. But what I then reflect on is what I addressed earlier, which is that we don't want to overly constrain. There's there's power in some freedom, some flexibility, particularly I, I'm thinking about it when it comes to designers' careers. Um, I don't know what you started at. I, I have a degree in anthropology. I then kind of fell into CD-ROM development. I, I, I took a class on user-centered design and usability engineering, was called an interaction designer, but I realized I was more of an IA. And so that was my practice. Then I became a UX designer, right? But, but right, like, and, and I don't think my path is all that, it's unique to me, but, but that kind of experience isn't unique. I think for a lot of designers, there's, there's a searching that happens, particularly in the first five to 10 years of your, of your work where you're trying to figure out what flavor of craft are you interested in. And, I, and so when I communicate that to my clients that I'm working with, they get that because they've had those experiences. I work with heads of design with design backgrounds, heads of design who came out of research programs, heads of design who came out of HCI programs. Like they, they have that experience. And so I can help them reflect like on their path uh, and how we want to encourage that. That's actually, a, that is a feature, not a bug of a design career is this, um, kind of questing aspect. Uh, the problem that uh, a lot of teams face or, or, or design teams face within organizations though is at some point they have to draft a career ladder and that career ladder is like, okay, you're gonna have a job here and then this is how you grow in that job. And those career ladders tend to be very linear. And the hack that I have created, um, and I think about it using an IA-ish brain is is a career ladder that while still linear in terms of there's grades of growth that you are on allows for a lot of um bushiness um sideways lateral development in terms of skills building right so if you're a product designer you could say all i care about is growing someone in their visual design and interaction design skills and that's all they're going to work on for the next, you know, 20 years is growing those skills. But what I argue is, no, you want them, you want to also acknowledge IA skills and UX writing skills and UX research skills and prototyping skills and all these other skills and, and let people, they can still be a product designer while building skills that aren't simply interaction design and visual design. And, and that's actually good for them. It's good for their growth. They might realize they started as a product designer, but really want to be a UX researcher. And then they can make that shift without feeling like they have to leave the company and get a job elsewhere in order to, to you know, remake themselves in those ways. And so I, uh, in, the, in the details, I guess, there is that fluidity and flexibility and opportunity that's built into the system. So you have to, in order to, in, in the levels frameworks that I've built in order to progress, you have, you do have to grow, but how you grow is up to you. But, and so it's less about the specifics. So I have this thing around skills building. And as you grow, you need to get, um, you need to develop expertise in skills, strength in skills, and then competence in skills. That's expertise is like the farthest, is the highest level. What those skills are doesn't matter, but that you are, Developing expertise, strength, and competence does matter, right? And so it's it's trying to create this container that is still pretty clear 
in terms of what growth looks like, but, in, but allowing the individuals to figure out what that specific, what those, you know, ingredients are or whatever those specific elements are uh, that are that are right for them. I love it because it's, um, it is a very IA way of looking at things where we might say skill is a content type, right? A template. And uh, we can put any, any skill that we can think of in the UX uh, universe. Um, we can sort of imagine in that template uh, for that particular uh, uh, employee or team member or what what have you. Um, I would imagine this is sort of a good moment, I think, to transition to the lens uh, that, that we picked out for you. Um, and I think it's a good moment to do that because I think there is a lot of um, pre-existing assumptions that come from an organization when uh, they're thinking about skill trees or uh, uh, career paths and, and things like that. And I would imagine that part of your job is to help kind of refactor uh, some of those assumptions when they're thinking about um, career growth in design. So all of that is uh, just a foundation for asking you to share the lens uh, that you chose and then explain what about it resonated with you or how, how might you explain it in your own words? Um, so the lens I chose was corporate mythology. Um, and the, the lens is around um, this, this reality that businesses, corporations, have a view of the world, even if it's unstated, there's, there's, a, there's a set of principles, beliefs, practices that drive their behavior. And um, I like the idea of corporate mythology because I, something we all forget about the companies that we join is that, and, and the structures that, that we are operating within is that those structures are created, they're invented. They're not, they're not handed down on stone tablets from a mountaintop, and we all just have to um, adopt them. They they emerged or or were uh, designed to meet a particular purpose. Now, usually that purpose no longer is relevant, right? So the classic kind of hierarchical org chart that many of us still labor under is an artifact of of uh, the railroads uh, in the 1850s and a need to be able to com communicate quickly across. Um, uh, from from the you know the senior most people all the way down to uh, the the folks doing the work so that trains wouldn't collide into each other um uh it evolved but but not a whole lot in order to suit things like mass manufacture at companies like general motors uh where you also got kind of the rise of the functional organization your marketing departments your engineering departments your sales departments and all that kind of stuff um but again those those were designed to solve particular problems. And something that's really interesting right now and where IA, I think, could apply a lot of value is helping companies figure out what are the right structures. Um, and I'm wary of the word structures. It's, it's, I, I suspect it's something more like faceted classifications or cinnamon, cinnamon, <laughs> synonym rings or other kind of classic metadata management um tools how can we apply that kind of thinking to how companies are structured because it's something i think about literally 
every day when I'm focused on my work is the is is the the challenge that companies have managing by function. So again, most companies still have a sales department and a marketing department and a product department and an engineering department and a design department. And then managing by the work. We we recognize you cannot build software by starting with, I don't know, managers uh, uh, talking about their um, goals for the year and handing that off to marketers who then write a bunch of requirements and hand that off to designers who then draw a bunch of screens who hand that off to engineers like that doesn't that's not how you build software software is product people and designers and engineers sometimes with product marketers and researchers and maybe even salespeople or customer support folks or whatever working together and we have no good model for how to manage that this is why safe the scaled agile framework exists but it's a terrible model um and anyone who labors under it hates it um, but it, it, it seeks to fill this void of how can we articulate um, a management model for the kind of work many of us are doing today because we recognize the models that we have inherited are, are flawed. Um, this is a bit of a departure from where we were in the first part of the conversation, but, but where I, I go and I think of IA applied to kind of this, this idea of corporate mythology is, is um, uh, every company is operating with a set of assumptions as to what makes sense in terms of how work gets done. Often those assumptions are whatever the people who work there, whatever experience they had prior. Um, and again, those are to use a kind of, um, what is it, Yuval Harari, the author of Sapiens, right? Those are fictions. We made those up, but now we just, we believe them to be somehow kind of true. Um, so, so how do we, uh, how can we deploy, employ an IA practice and mindset to, to rethinking that? So one way I've done that is encouraging companies to structure by, um, instead of, well, there's still value in structuring reporting lines by function to support things like career growth. So I get very nervous when I hear about designers reporting up to product managers and GMs, as opposed to reporting up through a larger design organization, because that, that tells me that the company does not care how that individual grows as a professional. But as I was just saying, that's not how we do the work. We're not just going to throw a bunch of designers together and expect them to solve the company's problems, unless if it's a design consultancy. And so when thinking about these cross-functional organizations, at least when I started doing this type of work, it was common to have web teams and mobile teams and iOS teams and Android teams and, and teams that were basically around code bases. And, and, and what we're seeing is a move away from that. And it's kind of an IA driven move. And what I've been arguing from this IA perspective is, well, if, if what we're trying to do is deliver value to users, how can we organize our teams to better deliver value to users instead of uh, make it simpler to uh, use GitHub <laughs> uh, and pull repositories, you know, for, you know, from code from repositories and stuff like that. That's not really the goal of an organization. The goal of an organization is to deliver value to users. And so, you know, an IA approach and one that I took at the last company that I worked at full time was to actually use, so this was a jobs marketplace. So we have workers and employers and we 
um, had studied the journeys, the customer journeys that each of these audiences were on and realized that they mirrored um, almost from the outset, right? Because uh, uh, when someone's looking for a job and an employer is looking to hire someone, you know, the employer posts a job offering, the, the job seeker reads that and applies. And from that point on, these two are kind of in this dialogue until one, you know, successfully, if, if it happens, they, they uh, uh, start working there, right? They get an offer and start working there. And so we were able to use this journey as a way to organize these product teams, um, starting with looking for work, then, uh, no, sorry, starting with getting people into the system, then what we call uh, find and apply, then the, um, the, the recruiting process where there's a lot of conversations and back and forth and scheduling just to get someone to show up for a job interview and all that kind of stuff and, and managing that experience and then getting them the offer and, and um, starting on their way. And so, so that was an IA approach to redesigning the, uh, the, the teams, how they were doing the work based on uh, a recognition of, of the journeys that they were on. Um, and I, I think it's really great that you're drawing on this idea of a journey because maybe uh, some folks don't think of that as an IA uh, thing, right? We tend to think in terms of categories and taxonomies uh, and metadata, but I think a journey is a just a, a structured way of looking at uh, processes uh, that incorporates uh, maybe empathetic or deeper understanding of sort of what the user is going through as they go through that journey. Um, I think it's, uh, uh, I've heard you talk about this before, kind of trying to mirror your organization uh, around the journey uh, that the user goes through. I would imagine, however, uh, or let me rephrase, I've encountered a lot of corporate myths around the journeys themselves. That is to say, within the organization, within the, the corporate mythology, there are certain expectations for how people uh, engage uh, with the business, how the customers or the audience members engage with the business um, to the point where the business becomes the focal point and not uh, the, the audience or where they expect everyone to follow a certain path. And really the path is far more complex. Can you talk a little bit about um maybe moments in your career where you had to kind of push against the corporate mythology that uh of of sort of what those journeys or what those user interactions looked like i don't know if i have any good stories about that um you know i i agree that there's a lot of preconception in, as to what the journey could or should be um uh, often, you know, oh, we know our customers or don't talk to our customers, just talk to our salespeople because they talk to our customers. Um, I guess one area of, I don't know about pushback, but, but something that often comes up when, when thinking about this challenge is pretty specific to enterprise software, but the, the reality that the buyer is not the user right. um, and, and there's a huge disconnect there um, and having to remind the leaders of, of that software company that like, no, we actually have to talk to the people who are going to be using this, not just the people who are going to be buying it. Right. Um, um, and, and so there's, there's, there's been that kind of uh, uh, 
reorientation. I, I wish I had some story of I came in and they were organized wrong and I did I did my user research magic and my journey magic and voila. We and always it, it was organized that right. right. But it's usually less, it's I, I guess my my thought is um at least in the circumstances I've been part of, I, I'm looking at the lens here. The, the 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 existing structure in that existing journey was an assumption, but it was an almost implicit assumption as opposed to an explicit assumption. It was just kind of how we do things. And no one had actually bothered to poke at it or or push back on it until uh, you know, I'm thinking about whether it was the work I did at Groupon where I tried to introduce a journey model to how we uh, how at least I structured my teams and we didn't quite get all the way there. Um, it's not that the rest of the company was organized in in some either false journey model uh, that I had to overcome. The rest of the company wasn't organized. It was just like it had grown so fast that it was just like teams. It was it was it was like an a, um, an accretion. Uh, 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 it was like a, a one one I work with a head of design at a big enterprise software firm that's acquired a lot of companies, and uh, he's referred to the the, the result of all these acquisitions is a rubble pile, right? You just got all this shit that you acquired and it's just scattered around. And, and so like, there's, maybe there's an assumption in there. There is probably an assumption in there. And that assumption is um, uh, all these companies were doing fine on their own. Let's just let them kind of keep doing what it is they're doing. Um, but then, you know, you, the classic IA problem occurs where you, you log into the homepage of this company and they want to provide all these offerings to you and you're just overwhelmed right. with 75 distinct capabilities that don't seem to interact or coordinate in any way. Right. I, I feel like um, the purpose of this lens is to encourage the practicing information architect to kind of look at whatever they're working on, whatever they're designing and ask themselves, are there... Have I based any of my design decisions simply on long-held beliefs that have never been questioned? But my my hope is kind of what you're getting at here is like just because they've never been questioned doesn't mean you have to start questioning them questioning them now. I mean, I feel like that is an enormous burden for someone to take on, and maybe the maybe the mess is the way it is um, because it would be too painful uh, to try and make, to try and pull it apart. It would be too difficult for a single person to push against that. And I feel like I want to say to folks, that's okay. I mean, the fact that you've recognized that these are long held assumptions, uh, and maybe you can start to ask some questions about it, but also sometimes they're there for a reason. Uh, and if you can recognize them and understand them and work around them, that's great. Maybe it's only when they really start to get in your way that they become a problem. And that brings me to the last question that I've been asking everyone, which is what advice do you have for designers who are maybe uh, you know relatively new to their career, who maybe have not had the um, exposure uh, to information architecture like you and I have had over the years uh, in an early part of our careers because there is such a drive to deliver fast and there is um, not as much attention paid uh, to uh, these kind of deep structural conversations. 
how would you help uh, or what how what advice would you offer? What kind of coaching would you offer a, a newer designer who's uh, trying to bring this lens or any IA lens to bear on their work? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to assume that prior correspondents have talked about things like Abby Covert's book and, and, and the Polar Bear book and all of these kinds of, of resources, which are great and should be understood and, and embraced. So I'm going to take a different tack, which kind of plays on what we're talking about here, which is just to remember that, because uh, I don't think this is all that challenging a, an idea, but as we were talking earlier, corporations are fictions and, and, and we're, we're, we're created, we're shaped by people with some intent and uh, to not take their current ways of being shaped and their current operations as a given. Um, when you're earlier in your career, as we were just alluding to, you're going to have a hard time pushing back against that. So, so uh, you know, no, no, you know, um, a middle-aged director wants to hear from a, a zillennial about how, uh, the the way that the teams are working doesn't make sense from some IA perspective and railing against the system in that regard. So so you have to figure you have to be mindful of how you um, raise these su subjects. But I think uh, what you were just pointing out, awareness of it is huge because you can you're then engaging with the reality as opposed to um, playing along with that fiction. You're 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 you'll because you'll you'll come up with uh, upon. Uh, experiences where you start proposing solutions and that you're like, you think make total sense and people are like, no, and you're like, why? And they're like, that's not how we do it here. That kind of thought. And, and um, you will, um, by understanding why we do the, why is it we do the things we do here, you can reshape your solutions to try to actually fit within those existing practices, however flawed they are, at least Jesse James Garrett and I used to talk about uh, this when we were at Adaptive Path because we had different approaches to solving client problems. Jesse was blue sky. Jesse wanted to provide the best solution given given the the context of the situation in terms of like the the user experience. He's like, I'm going to provide the best solution. I'm going to provide the hundred percent solution. Whereas I tended to, given my organization brain, even back then wanted to better understand what was workable in their environment and how can I provide the best solution that was practicable. And that might only be a 60% solution, but they could deliver on my 60% solutions. Whereas when Jesse would give them a 100% solution, they would maybe be able to deliver 20% of that or none at all. And I was happier to have my 60% solution more fully delivered than trying to give them 100% and it not working. And so that, that's, that's where I think kind of um, uh, uh, th that for that young IA as they're learning these practices by reading the Polar Bear book or Abby's book or whatever and figuring out how to apply them is to understand the real uh, the realities of, of that or their organizational mechanics and operations and design solutions that fit within there. That said, you know, the, the, that 100% view should never be 
like you don't want to throw that out that becomes a vision that becomes a north star that becomes something that you're slowly tacking towards you're not going to get there in the next release but but as you do your 60 percent solutions do them in a way that is nudging the the system towards uh uh achieving that kind of greater clarity um uh, uh just don't expect to be able to kind of get there out of the gate here that was awesome we will leave it there thank you very much for joining me my pleasure thank you for having me this was fun